Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even, you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. So welcome, wanderellas, wonderfellas, wanderistas, lovers of the wander, wandering lovers all, welcome to this edition this episode of Wonderful the Podcast. How are you? How are you doing? Is life unfolding in front of you in neat parallel lines? Or are you enjoying a wiggly, wandery wander through life? Um, how's things? Uh, this podcast, as you know, is all about breaking the routine. And of course, that means every so often we have to break the routine in how we break the routine. Isn't that right, Andrew? Yes, he's nodding. And we thought that what we would do is, is make a radical shift and do a live podcast. Welcome to, yes, the first ever wonderful live podcast. Earlier this month, uh, we summoned friends, strangers, allies, musicians, artists, talented people, and Andrew Payne. I'm just joking, Andrew. I'm just joking. You're as groovy as all the rest of them. Uh, yeah, to, uh, to a theatre in North London uh, to do a live recording of this wonderful podcast. So listen, any excuse to get people together, right? You know, post-pandemic, we all want a chance to be face-to-face. But to declare also, uh, to be fully transparent, it was also my birthday, well, my birthday week. And um, I don't know about you, but every time I have a birthday, I feel like I get older. Does that happen to you, Andrew, does it? All the time. All the time. <laughs> but the question, of course, is what does that mean? What does it mean to get older? It was a question I was asking a dear friend of mine called Carl Honoré. Some of you will know Carl. Many of you will know Carl as the author of In Praise of Slow. It's one of his books. It's a kind of the, the Bible of the slow movement, if you like. And I was talking to him and he challenged me actually in very interesting ways about what it meant to get older. What did I mean by getting older? And um, he's written about that in a, in a beautiful new book called Boulder, which is about how we can get bolder as we get older, as he'll explain during the podcast. And also really how we can make the full use of our, of our actually lengthening lives. We're living longer. How can we get full use out of all of those years? So listen, what I would love you to do is... is, uh, is wander with me over to North London uh, to uh, King's Place Theatre where a few weeks ago you uh, just imagine that you are part of the audience that is gathering for our first ever live podcast hope you enjoy it one of the reasons that we're here is due to a conversation I was having with this man at a cafe um, and I had mentioned to him that I lost my voice in COVID. I, I had COVID quite badly and I got a lumps on my uh, vocal cords. And for a year I couldn't sing. 
and nobody seemed to mind. Enough to say, nobody came and said, but it is the nation needs your voice. There was none of that, my kids, no one, no one. However, um, I thought I'd have it looked at, and Fiona, who teaches me singing over there, uh, was kind of nudged me to the singing surgeon. Dermot, the singing surgeon, he took the nodules out. And then I thought, you know, I haven't had a singing lesson for, for decades. I've been singing since I was eight, but I've never really learned much. Um, and Fiona was kind enough to uh, give me some singing lessons. And it was very humbling and it was very wonderful to start actually to first to learn to speak because there was a long period of not speaking. And then Fee introduced me to the fantastic Jen, who's sitting there, also got my body under control. And the last year has been an incredible um, exploration for me about a new way of singing and falling in love with singing again and so on. And I was saying this to Carl, and Carl said, that sounds like a Boulder story. So I said, well, why don't we get together, talk about Boulder, talk about getting bold as you get older, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll sing something. Carl, thank you for the inspiration, and thank you for coming. I'm thrilled to be here. So Carl, Carla, what we'll do is we'll do something a bit formal to start and then it's going to get riotous. We'll involve mm. everybody. And we'll, but let's, um, right. let's start formally. And let me ask you, Carl, you wrote, I, I mean, I've known you for years as the, as the guru of slow. You wrote the book In Praise of Slow, you've known around mm. the world for that. Why a book on, is it a book on aging? It is. I suppose it's a book on how we feel about aging as yeah. much as aging itself. Why? I think I've discovered somewhere along the line in my writing career that all of my books start with a personal existential crisis, right? <laughs> some sort of spark. <laughs> spark. And, and with Boulder, it was that I was playing in a hockey tournament in the north of England, and my team, who were called the London Jets, we were locked in a nil-nil draw with a rival that we had annihilated the year before, but we just couldn't get that goal. And You're the you, London Jets. Yeah, I know, it sounds very yeah, That sounds great. So yeah. to, tell us, this, how, what does the strip look like? Well, it? it's green, okay. very, very bold green, okay. and uh, a stark white. Okay, the London Jets. Yeah. Okay. And this jet, is hockey. With, with some Jets. Okay. Well, because I'm Canadian, right, it's actually um, ball hockey, which is a bit like ice hockey without the ice. Right. So you're right. running around on feet. It's the same sport otherwise, right? right? And so we're playing that we couldn't score. So out of nowhere, I scored a, a kind of highlight reel goal, right? The kind of goal that I will be relieving on my deathbed with goosebumps many years from now and propelled my team into the semifinals. And I came off thinking, you know, I am the bee's knees, right? I just I was floating on air. And then out of nowhere, one of the tournament organizers sidled up to me and he says, wonderful goal. But you know what? I've just been flicking through player profiles just for fun in between matches, and I noticed that you're the oldest player here. And I knew I was, I mean, I knew I was one of the oldest, right? <laughs> not in denial. <laughs> but to be suddenly the oldest out of 245 players or something, it just completely rocked me. And I, I don't know, I just, I, in the blink of an eye, I went from goal scorer to granddad. And it was, <laughs> I, all these questions began crowding in. I was thinking, well, you know, are people laughing at me behind my back? Do I look out of place here? Uh, should I take up a more age-appropriate pastime, like bingo, maybe? <laughs> and, I've, and I've got nothing against bingo, but I prefer hockey at this stage of my life. And, and I, it was just something, it was like my age took on this terrible power in an instant to define and limit me. And I thought, this can't be right, you know? I'm having fun, I'm playing well. Why, why do I suddenly feel constrained, boxed in? Why do I feel a door is being slammed in my face because of the numbers on my birth certificate? And I came away from that tournament thinking, I need to unspool this somehow and I could mm. feel a book was coming because so, mm. mm. I felt there had to be a different and a better story to tell about aging and it turns out 
spoiler alert that there is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the book is, a, is a, it's hugely encouraging for those of us who are getting older. I suppose everyone's getting older. I mean, whatever your starting point is. But um, there's, there's, there's lots of information there about how uh, you sort of, sort of bust some myths about ageing mm. in terms of our, our thinking, our creativity, our sex lives and so on. Are there any, you know, give us a flavour of some of the moments where you just, there's some of the people you met maybe that just kind of threw your understanding of ageing on its head. Yeah, I mean, one person who really stood out for me was um, a, a woman called Jacko who was in her late, mid-80s. She was running a guest house in Beirut, and she was just discovered in her early to mid-80s and became a reality TV star, right? So she, you know, um, you know Candid Camera, Jeremy Beadle, all that stuff. So she became a, 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 a comic phenomenon across the Arab world. And she just had such a glorious sense of the absurd and, and humor. And I happened to meet her. I was the last person just by chance to interview her because she was dying. And she still had this mischievous sparkle. She's the and one that went in with the... the, the, the well, the most famous one, the yeah. most famous sketch she did was she was dressed up as a, an elderly woman in a house coat, and she goes into a pharmacy in Beirut and asks in a loud voice for Viagra, right? And, and the pharmacist who's in on the joke gives her a look of horror and says, are you sure, Viagra? And she says, yes, it's for my husband. And, and then it goes, she says, can, I, can he take a double dose? And you know, it goes on and on. And, and all of the, the reactions of the people in the pharmacy who are not in on the joke are just comedy gold, right? They look just absolutely appalled at the idea of anyone that age having anything remotely like sex. And so, then I, you know, so she became a superstar off the back of this. And then I remember with being with her towards the end of our conversation. And she just said, you know, the, the only thing about aging is you just have to make the most of whatever age you are. Um, and if that doesn't work, go down to the pharmacy and get yourself some Viagra, right? Yeah. Um, and that was, that was really the last thing she said to me. And then I just heard about five days later she died. And it just seemed like she had gone out, not raging against the dying of the light, but kind of laughing at the dying of the light. And I thought that was a, a pretty uplifting way to, yeah. to go through life. You, you talk about ageism in the books. Say more about that, because it seems that ageism can affect uh, you at any age. It's not about people getting older. It's people thinking, we've asked you guys to fill in, uh, you know, this questionnaire about what do you feel too young for? What do mm. you feel too old for? Say, say a bit about that, what you might, you know, you've discovered. About yeah, that. I mean, ageism does affect all of us at every age, because what it does is it says, all the people who have this birth date roughly fall into this box, right? They are, they tick all of these different uh, character traits, which is, you know, immensely limiting and untrue because people can be, I mean, you, you can find vast differences between two 85-year-olds, right? There's an old saying in the medical world, if you've met an 85-year-old, you've met an 85-year-old, right? You know, it's not, you haven't met all 85-year-olds by meeting an 85-year-old. So the thing about ageism, though, of course, that falls more heavily on those of us in later life, right? Because it has got tangled up with the cult of youth, the idea that younger is just better, that, be, that aging is almost seen, I think, in our, especially in Western cultures, it's seen as something to be ashamed of or feel guilty about or disgusted by. Uh, I mean, if, it, it, to deny, right? I mean, it's interesting we were asking these questions here. What age do people feel? And of course, I mean, there's some research came out recently saying that once people get past the age of 40, they tend to think of themselves on average as 20 years younger than they actually are. And I think the reason we have that phenomenon is that we're trying to run away from the age we are. We feel, we feel ashamed to be 45 or 55 or 65, so we tell ourselves somehow that we're 35 still, or we're 29, 
um, or we're young at heart. I mean, it's woven into our vernacular, all these phrases that just tell us constantly, you know, the wrong side of 40 or over the hill. Or One of my real bugbear expressions is showing my age. You know, that mm. one that just gets slips in everywhere. I heard a, one of the uh, well-known BBC correspondent said it this morning in an interview on the Today program. He was talking about um, remembering a political thing that had happened in the early 90s. And he just kicked off by saying, I'm really showing my age here. But, you know, back in the early 90s, you think, well, what are you doing when you say that? What you're saying is that by sh I'm showing my age, you're saying, I'm older, I'm ashamed of it, so I've got to put it out there, right? And almost apologize for mm. it. Mm. Um, so I sort of feel like language is a good starting point often for taking down the ageist industrial complex. So <laughs> I feel like if you want to flip showing my age, we should be showing off my age. Because yeah. what he should be saying and trumpeting in that moment, that correspondent is, I was there. Mm. I can bring to the discussion now a whole range of filters and nuance and understanding because I actually lived something similar 30 years ago rather than holding up his age as something to be ashamed of, like having, I don't know, herpes or yeah. um, finding out that you're most listen to artist on Spotify is Richard Claderman, right? I mean, it's just this idea no, that somehow teach yeah. <laughs> It's not as bad as that. But the sh you pointed a really good one out to me. I, I noticed in the book, which is still, are you still? Yes. This idea that there's this kind of little barb in there. That really, are you still doing that? Is there yeah. an assumption about when you should stop? I think that was J.K. Galbraith, wasn't oh, it? Right. The great economist who said that. He called it the still syndrome. Ah, okay. And it creeps in at some point depending on what the activity is, I suppose it could be anywhere from your mid-30s onwards, you start saying, yeah, I'm still playing hockey, or I'm still singing, or I'm still dancing in nightclubs, yeah. that kind of thing. What, again, what does that say? It says, somehow I ought not to be, or yeah. there's some miracle of nature, you're a, yeah. an aberration because you're doing this thing that you love and do well, but your birth certificate tells you otherwise. Yeah. That kind of I don't know if having this experience, but uh, I think, I, jo, jo isn't, my wife isn't here. She's with her two late 80-year-old parents. We've got a 90-year-old parent. The, the old people seem to be older and they are living longer. Mm. It seems as though we gained uh, a decade or something in a generation. And you talk a lot about um, intergenerational activity. Say a bit more about that, places where both the young and the old benefit from interaction. Well, I think the benefits are legion. And we've really thrown, I think, that baby out with the bathwater throughout human history. The generations mixed. So if you think back to the past, people of all different ages would mingle in the fields, in markets, in the home, in the street, just everywhere, right? And then we moved into the modern era and we siloed. So you find yourself really walled off with people of your own age cohort. And it starts in school, yeah. right? You're actually literally with people who were born within a nine month period of you or a year at the most. And what that does is it means that people are, are separated from people of different ages. And when you don't know people of different ages, that into that space rush all of the grim, toxic stereotypes about aging. Right? Mm. And what they do find is as soon as you start breaking down the silos and mixing people up, that the stereotypes begin to fall away. You realize that not all 23-year-olds are snowflakes, right? Or not all 85-year-olds are cranky and forgetful. Right? And it's just having people in that same space together, I think, is, is a is always a quantum leap towards mm. reimagining aging for all of us, right? It's funny because in this room there's some people, friends of ours, who have a, a, many years ago thought, you know what, why don't we create a village school? 
the idea being that we had kids of different ages and that they might learn more from each other mm. than... Um, how was it? I, I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask, what was it like? Someone say something, so not just listening to us guys. What was it like to have, not you, Nadav? Um, what was it like to have, yes, Poppy, okay. <laughs> Danny. What was village school like? What, any surprises that you found when we were, basically we were all learning. The idea was that we would all do stuff that none of us knew how to do. Yeah, we, we, did, uh, we did drumming, we did sculpting, we did all sorts of chocolate making, yeah. grapes. Grape, we, we trod on grapes, um, picked grapes. Made Druidism, I remember, was one. We did a druid. We did lots of things, and what's fascinating now, looking back over what must be 16, 17 years, I don't know when we started it, is that we're all incredibly bonded as uh, three, four families, and the kids uh, are so delighted to come to an evening with the adults. Um, so it's really been a profound and... We feel like family now. In fact, you're all sitting together. <laughs> Podcast audience, you Multi cannot see this, but they are bonded together. Multi-generational table. One of the really big themes, though, was, was... One of the really big themes was that we learnt at the same pace as each other. So yeah. the young would learn how to make chocolate as well as the old, as yeah. well as the very old. And there were no privileges of being an adult and there were no advantages of being the young. And that was yeah. almost every single other activity we ever did, there were advantages of being one or the other. Yeah. And we chose things where there weren't, and that was the great joy of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's also, you know, it was, it was interesting to see how, how we infantilize kids and how family activities are very often about the parents stand back and they provide something for, for children. Mm. But in fact, families learning and growing together is a... Is a is a thing. I, I noticed that I've got this kind of ticking, ticking feeling that I well, talking about learning stuff, and I've talked about learning yeah. singing, and I thought maybe I should show us what you've learned. Maybe. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it might be time. So, is that okay? I, I feel think quite so. nervous. I've sung many, many times in this hall, but it feels slightly different. So, I would love to share with you a um, a song, which um, hopefully Fiona, I won't let you down, but. Um, it feels like, uh, I've sung all my life, but it feels like in the last year, things sort of clicked into place. It doesn't sound like I'm used to sounding to myself, but it's almost like there's been some other voice trying to sing. Mm. So we'll, have, we'll give it a go. Would, is, does, does that make sense? It's gonna be a song from, a beautiful song, from an aria from an opera by a man called Korngold, uh, Eric Korngold, uh, called The Dead City. And in it, Piero, there's a character, Piero, who sings about, um, well, like all, all men are always singing about how men, women have let them down. So basically, that's basically, he's talking about love. If you're interested, we've done a sort of translation that you could look at. And also, David, my friend David Glass is here. And I just want, Piero, this is a bit for you as well, because David was one of, has been one of the great teachers of my life. And the first time I ever saw him, was on a stage very much like this, doing a show about Piero, and I fell in love with theatre, him, and Piero. So there's a little bit of that. Thank you for coming. I didn't know you'd be here, so it's fantastic you're here. Let's do this thing, yes?
So. so you are a poster boy for Boulder, because me. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to ask, I, I mean, straight off the stage, I mean, what, did that, what, is, what does that feel like to get up? I mean, you must have been re putting that moment through your head. Over. <laughs> uh, it's very, it's very nerve-wracking, even though I know and love 
everyone in this room, and know most people's middle name. There's something, so the stakes couldn't be lower in one sense, but in another way, it feels very, very exposing, because it feel, in a good way, it's, um, I think opera gets a kind of, a rap for being artificial and kind of overblown. But for me, uh, when I heard, when I first heard that song, which is actually a baritone aria, I just, I actually wept. I just thought, uh, well, I mean, again, I, you almost have to excuse yourself. It's a little bit of age, like it's sentimental, yeah? Mm. But there for me is something in that music and in German, which I started to learn now because I, 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 I was always an Italian boy and I never, but now I'm on my Duolingo doing my, my learning. And there's something calling me in this act, which is very, uh, it's European, Quite, uh, quite German, and there's something in that music that feels to me real. And I remember as a little kid, when I first went to the opera, I was eight, and I heard Domingo sing and stuff, and it, it didn't seem artificial, it sounded, sounded very real. So this for me to feel, feels, it, it's, it's obviously strange, it's very formalized, but it feels real. Mm. And, um, and it's interesting, uh, people say I've got a young sounding voice, yeah, I mean, when you, we, we have a mutual colleague, uh, Fiona, who said, uh, uh, well, he said, he heard my voice and said, well, he's obviously over six foot. How the hell can you tell that? But, um, I, you know, it, it's interesting learning as a beginner something which at one level, I mean, I've already sung in the opera. I've, I, in a way, I've ticked the box, but there's something in me. I don't know if anyone else has got this feeling. There's a kind of... It's like there's a gnawing third leg that's kind of urging you on. It's not about, it's not about career. It's not about money. It's almost not about. Uh, it's almost not about the ego in a weird way. I, we, we spent the afternoon recording these songs. So I thought even if I fuck it up tonight, I'm gonna I'm gonna record it just to see what it's like. So it feels more like meeting oneself. It sounds a bit difficult to understand, but it mm -hmm. feels like oh. It wants to do this. It's interesting. That's Very interesting. interesting. There's a, one of my favorite quotes about aging is from David Bowie, who said that age is, aging is an extraordinary experience whereby you become the person you always should have been. Uh. And just what you were saying there, yeah. I felt like you were coming to some sort of, not full circle, but you were coming to a place that you couldn't have come to 25 years ago. For sure. I'm going to do something naughty and ask my teacher. <laughs> not how that was. For a score. But what did you see early on when I was... I, unable to speak, actually. Um, um, you know, what... what uh, I'm not looking for flattery. I'm just curious. What, you, you knew me as a colleague, and there was I starting it for scratch. Did you notice anything or anything you thought at the time? Yeah, it was... I mean, the experience of working with someone who has just come out of a vocal surgery and literally is unable to speak for yeah. a number of days, and then the relearning, there was something very vulnerable about that you know we the first ever lesson I taught you I think you managed sort of a tone two tones maybe a third we did and then, yeah and I thought maybe yeah. that maybe that was too much and and um the experience of relearning or, or witnessing you relearning something um was a very profound one for me you know and I could see also a fire in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jen's nodding because she's also been a huge part of your vocal recovery and she sees the fire, right? Yeah, 
Jen, Jen, Jen's a hero, by the way. Anything that you've got wrong with anything, go to Jen. She's just absolutely amazing. You work with performers in the West End. How do you describe yourself? I'm a performance physiotherapist. I see any range of like joint, muscle, nerve linked injuries, but also do vocal physio. And we've done a bit of a mishmash together, haven't we? She got hold of my throat like no one has ever done. I mean, you, you, you've, it's an experience that, I mean, wow, unforgettable to have someone grab yeah. hold of your larynx and go... <laughs> but, um, in, but I trusted you. Uh, and it works. Uh, what, what's your range of the, the patients, I mean, in terms of age range? So it's quite... The youngest that I would see, 16, um, and then to any age. I like seeing people from a mix of backgrounds as well. So with the vocal physio, that's anyone from singers to teachers to just people who just want to be able to speak well and maybe haven't got that quality because of tightness or they're working with a vocal coach or whatever the reason. So yeah, lots of variety. How do you, uh, does age come into your thinking at all in terms of how you assess people? I think age comes in more in a sense of experience as opposed to limitation. I think a lot of people will come to physio and be like, I can't do this because I'm only this years old or I'm too old to do. But within, <laughs> if you had a room of the same ages of people that had just been across different walks of life, they present completely differently. So it's nice to be able to just tweak that for people and go yeah kind of irrelevant it's more about what your body's doing or what you've been through or how your understanding matches the task well i can say it's been taught to not only did i learn to 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 sing from scratch i've been working with jen on learning how to walk and it's like <laughs> i'm i should know that i should know this but like you do oh you do that and then this goes and walks walking slowly is humiliating you're all sort of wobbling all over the place but i actually also think it's i i notice i love it other people should feel the same that, that your body just goes oh, and your your soul goes i want to learn I i'm really enjoying learning this simple thing thank you but you know thank you both for your help getting me i mean honestly really getting me getting me back on oh yeah sure it's really what do I, you hear carl i i noticed you said um that someone said that you describe your voice as young. Yeah. What did you hear of that? Did you hear young equals good or young equals a different tonal quality? Well, there is a whole thing in the performing arts, which is lie about your age, right? <laughs> um, and uh, I haven't said what my birthday is this, uh, this week, and I may not. We'll see. Anyway, um, no, but there is, I think it's, uh, sounding young is a good thing. Um, and the truth why? is... Why? Uh, that's a very good question. There's a lot of kudos, uh, there's a lot of power, of course, in voices that are not pretty mm. and young and sort of, and, uh, but they've actually lived a bit. And, and I, think it, I think opera might be quite a cruel, limited art form. It doesn't, it, it, it's very pernickety. So I think young means we'll get a lot of use out of this voice. But actually when you're listening to you know, the voices that move you and touch you, very often I've got all sorts of Idiosyncrasies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and lived my, in. My, my, my father is a, a huge opera fan and has, has always sung his whole life as well. He was a pathologist, retired pathologist, but carries on singing now. He's uh, going to be 88 this year. And his voice has evolved. Yeah. And it's, it, we used to be, he's a tenor, it used to be quite heavy and powerful, and now it's a bit softer. And it's 
I think in the last few years it's become sweeter. Yeah. It's got a lovely quality to it. Um, so it's older, I suppose. Would it be older? But it's it's more beautiful, or it's differently beautiful. I, I mean, kind of brings uh, us to some of these questions yeah. about what do we what are we bringing to the party when we say this is young and this is old, and what it's are really all the baggage point. that comes along with it? It's a really good point. Um, time is moving on. We are all getting older by the minute. Quickly, not slowly. Because quickly, not slowly. I wanted to come back to you, Carl, because you started saying that the book was, uh, was uh, this book, as all of them, was kind of stimulated by an existential uh, uncomfortableness. Mm. Could you share with us how you now feel about, you know, personally about age, about the London Jets? I mean, how, has it, <laughs> I, I'm, you, you've under, the book is full of um, evidence that mm. things to change. I'm just, I'm just interested how you changed, how it well, changed you. It, it did work for me. I mean, there's always a danger when I go into one of these books that, that I come out with a piece of work that stands on its own two feet rationally, but doesn't change me at all. But that wasn't the case here. I mean, I, I've had a 180 degree swivel in terms of how I think about age. I was, before writing Boulder, I was a card-carrying member of the cult of youth. I mean, I was just... I would never have given my age. I would have, have low-balled it. You know, I, just, I just felt awful about the whole idea of growing older. I just pushed it away. And now I feel really genuinely completely at ease with it. Um, my metaphor now for aging is, I think I'm not a gamer at all, but I have a gaming analogy that I think of, which is that I think of each year of my life now as a level in a game. So right now I'm at level 55 and I am enjoying level 55 to the hilt. I'm gathering as much treasure as I can have. I'm enjoying all the adventures. I'm getting glittering swords. I'm doing crafts. I'm doing all the things you do at level 55. <laughs> and occasionally I might look back and think, ah, there were a couple of things that really lit me up in level, nine, le level 29. Feel a nice warm feeling, but I don't think I want to go back to level 29, right? I'm happy in level 55. I'm actually thinking level 56 is waiting for me down the road. What is there in level 56? So it's that kind of feeling of rather than aging being a downward spiral to depression, decrepitude, dementia from the age of whatever, you know, 35, where are we drawing the line these days? Uh, I think of it as a, an upward swing now to some sunny uplands somewhere. And I think that's not Pollyannish. I don't think it's utopia and I don't think it's Panglossy. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to feel that way because every age has its pros and cons, but every age can be glorious, it's going to be wonderful, but only if we embrace it, you know, sort of mm. embrace that, that level in the video game, or mm. embrace the present without pining for the past or shrinking in horror from the future. Mm. And for me, it's been a complete and utter game changer with a capital G. Mm. So yeah, playing with the London Jets, one of my teammates is sitting in the front row hey. there. Um, is he I'm, as good as he <laughs> says he is? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say still, you know, <laughs> he's learned a thing or two this evening. So, um, yeah, that's how I, I feel about it. Yeah, and you know, I'm, often, I'm often working in businesses and I'll cheekily ask them, I have a little game that uh, Charles Handy showed me and it, gets, it tricks you into drawing the line of your life and putting an X where you are on it. And most people put themselves in the middle. And I like asking them, how do you know you're in the middle? Uh, how do you know you're middle-aged? I mean, you might be, but you might not be. You mm. might end tomorrow. And it's, I wonder how our feeling about our age is predicated on how long we think we've got left. And I'm reminded of a very wise uh, man saying to me, his wife was concerned. He had a heart problem, and he wanted to go to Israel and see his, grand, his, his father on his 100th birthday. 
and she was worried that he would drop dead on the, on the mm. trip. And she, he said, I am, I am the kind of man that wants to be able to answer yes to the question, is today a good day to die? I'm the kind of man that wants to be able to answer mm. yes to the question. And so whilst he wasn't in a hurry to die, I sense a little bit in you this sense of relish, relish level, the level you're at. Mm. You don't know how long you've got. And you, it, having a long way to go doesn't necessarily make it better. Now is the time that you need to relish. But just coming full circle to what you were talking about earlier, how we seem to have added a decade, a decade and a half, yeah. two decades of yeah. good, healthy living to many of our lives and just rewritten the the code for yeah. a human life, the arc of a human life. I only recently did the arithmetic with my own life, and I'm now 55. And if you think that's 35 years older than 20, right? Um, I'm expecting, given my longevity, my family to get to 88, 89. So basically, I've got another 35. So I'm halfway through my adult life, mm. which when you just rotate the world and look at it from that angle, you think, goodness me, I actually have a lot of time left. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which bring is can brings with it a thrill, but can also be daunting, I suppose, as well. Yeah. If you do, if you feel, especially if you don't get things sorted out. <laughs> oh, this is going into an interesting place. Yes. <laughs> I think possibly it's time to head to the bar, but before that, I would like to sing another song. If that's I all right, I think you must sing another song. I will sing another song, which is an Italian song. Uh, it's like coming home. Have we, have we got a song in us? So there's a song called Ideale, which again is a, it's, it's nothing of what you've just said. It's a guy yearning for something that's just out of reach um, and hoping that she'll come back to him. And fade, fade out opera and fade up the sounds of the birds and of the traffic and of the city. And we're back. I, uh, we can't have too much uh, romantic music on here because uh, Andrew gets loses control. So I hope you enjoyed that. We certainly had a brilliant time and thank you for a, uh, a sort of taking part virtually as it were. Now if you're a practiced listener of this podcast you'll be expecting an exercise now and as I said this this episode is all about breaking the mold. We don't have an exercise. Uh, what I do have though is uh, news of a bonus episode because you'll have heard me perhaps uh, mention Holly in that uh, in that episode which she was in the audience far more than that Holly Callum Davis leapt to her feet and played the piano she is a brilliant pianist she runs a company called Concerts Don't Cost the Earth uh, which combine really music and conversations about climate change and she was so great that we thought that we would do an extra episode uh, devoted to her so keep your eye open for that it's coming soon um, and Holly will both talk and play and it's uh, I think you'll really enjoy it but she's brilliant so um, 
I think it just remains for me to say thank you for joining us on this uh, live podcast. Um, see you soon, and until then, have a wonderful time. Andrew, were you waving to remind me I should have said that liking and subscribing is really important because that's the only way we can really keep bringing the podcast free to everyone? Ah, I thought that was expressive dance.